Today, we're going to speak with Dr. Fritzler, who's the pre-medical advisor at Weber State University. He's going to talk about the services offered at Weber State University for all those uh, college students interested in medical school. We're going to also going to talk about the value of roadkill in parasitology, which happens to be one of his uh, side projects. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, this is uh, Dr. Chan again. Welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Medical Student Life. Um, I drove up here to Ogden, Utah. I'm very excited to talk to Dr. Jason Fritzler, uh, who is the relatively new pre-medical advisor here at Weber State University. So um, I'm going to turn the time over to Dr. Fritzler a little bit and let him introduce himself and how he came to have this uh, position. Well, like Dr. Chan said, I am... Relatively new. I've been at Weber State University for a year now, and I moved up here from Texas. And prior to moving here, or for the four years prior to moving here, I taught at at Stephen F. Austin State University, uh, about half the size of Weber State, and was involved in some pre-medical advising while I was there. And uh, so I've been here for a year. I'm in the microbiology department, and recently, within the last few months, took over as the pre-med advisor at this university, um, Dr. Trask, who did a great job for the last 10 plus years, uh, moved up to the associate dean of our college. And so I have some big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like she got promoted. And so you she kind did. of stepped in. So. Right. She did. So fantastic. Let's talk about Weber State uh, before we talk about pre-medical, uh, you know, our pre-medical discussion, uh, Dr. Fritzler. So it looks like, according to some of my notes I took, I always do a little research before I go on the road. looks like Weber State started in 1889. It was known as the Weber State Academy. And that was owned at that time by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church. Um, and through time, it looks like it's gone through many transformations, as many colleges right. here in the West has done. Right. So it looks like in 1933, the state of Utah assumed control of the, uh, of, uh, the Weber State Academy, and they renamed it Weber Junior College. Then 1962 became Weber State College. In 1991, Weber State University. And apparently, I did a lot of research on this, uh, Weber you know, is, uh, st- is named after John Henry Weber, who was an early fur trader. And that's going to tie into our discussion later, because I'm curious what some of those things I found in your <laughs> office, Dr. Fritzler. All right. So fantastic. All right. And then Weber State is known as the Wildcats. Have you ever seen Wildcats up here? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, it's an alternate to Bobcats. And your colors are purple and white. I don't think the Bobcats or the Wildcats in nature are purple and white. No. You, have, you, have, you never know. Um, Weber State offers over 250 undergraduate degrees and 11 graduate degrees. Um, there's over 26,000 students here on campus. Um, about a thousand live on campus, so it sounds like a lot of people live in the community or at home. It is. It's yeah. a big. It's a large commuter school, mm-hmm. okay. and so yeah, most of our student, students commute back and forth every day. Yeah. And then the student faculty ratio is 23 to one, and that's that's pretty impressive. Right. So yeah. is that does that kind of uh, match what's going on in your classes? It is. Yeah. It is. And so my. You know, our largest class, it's more of a general education course, um, kind of science for microbiology for non-majors, but the you know, the largest our class is, is no more than 120 students. Okay. And so and that's that's a big class for us. Yeah. Fantastic. So, Dr. Fritzer, one of the things I want to talk about, it's kind of fun. When you heard about Weber State, did you know it was pronounced Weber? Because like, that kind of tricks people who are not from Utah. It does trick people. I knew it was from basketball several years ago okay. when yeah. they had a good run at... In, in basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it was. 
But yeah, there are people that pronounce it Weber mm-hmm. all the time. And it, it's correctly pronounced Weber. It is yeah. pronounced Weber. Going back to John Henry Weber, who was trapping furs. Right, so. <laughs> right. It is pronounced Weber. Um, it was just before I got here last year, our provost had written an article mm-hmm. um, for the newspaper that trying to get people to start pronouncing it as Weber, and he had all these rhymes and various other things mm-hmm. with it. Um, and so it's come a long way since I got here, mm-hmm. but people do pr- still pronounce it Weber. All my friends in Texas pronounce it Weber, and so it is a common <laughs> misconception. Very, very nice, very nice. All right, well, let's, let's talk about the pre-medical advising program here, uh, Dr. Fritzler. Um, so, you know, let's pretend, you know, I'm a high school senior, and I'm looking at uh, going to colleges. What, what does Weber State have to offer as far as pre-medical advising? Well, so we have several things. One of the big things that I'm trying to implement starting maybe this coming summer is kind of a week long or so. That's what I'm planning on now, but a week long summer pre-medical camp for uh, make it competitive, but for, you know, some of the high school juniors and, and incoming seniors that um, want to be a pre-med student at, at Weber state mm-hmm. and um, got some ways to some sponsors and that kind of, of thing to help us support that program. But that's one thing we're looking at, try and get you started early on. Uh, second, when you get here, we have, you know, several staff, uh, including myself, um, who's the kind of the director of the pre-professional office here. Um, we do have a full a full time secretary, mm-hmm. and we do have uh, a couple of advisors. One in the College of Science, one in uh, Medical Laboratory Science, that that help out with the coursework aspect of the pre medical program. And so, you're you're not going to go unaided during your time here. Mm-hmm. So is there a pre-medical track or degree or, or how is it set up here? Right. So we don't have very few institutions have an actual pre-med major. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing for veterinary dentistry, whatever it may be. And so what you major in really doesn't matter um, for med school purposes. As long as you take the coursework and you prepare for the MCAT and you do well, uh, that's what they're looking for. And so, um, so we don't have a pre-med major. Most of our majors are majors in the College of Science, and mm-hmm. they're either microbiology or zoology majors. And probably third on the list would be maybe a tie between chemistry and medical laboratory science. Mm-hmm. And so, the like I said, majors don't matter. The benefits to being a science major are that courses you take for med school also count towards your major. Um, courses in not being a science major, the additional courses you have to take for med school are kind of on top of your degree requirements. But we have students in probably almost every single department on on campus majoring in something that's not a science major. Yeah. I get a, when I go out and do presentations, I get asked a lot like do you recommend a specific major uh, you know at, at the medical school admission committee level um, do we like do we put preference on one type of major over another? What I always tell the students is you need to follow your passion. You know, all you need right. to do is the pre medical requisites. But if you really like to do English or art or dance or business, all those type of individuals get into medical school. However, that being said, I would say the the largest amount of med students who actually do get in does have a degree do have a degree in the hard sciences. Right. So, yeah, so. Right. And the other thing I've really been pushing this year uh, is. You know, students ask me, what major should I be? And I turn around and ask them, what's your plan B? Hmm. And so if you don't get into med school or you get to that three or third year and you just don't want to apply anymore, what is it that you want to do? And so major in something that you like to do, major in something that you could see yourself doing if you don't end up going to med school. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of a crucial key as well. You have to be happy doing what you're doing. Hmm. 
Correct. I agree completely. So do you, is there a specific class that you teach, like introduction to the health sciences, or, or how is that set up here at Weber State? Well, so we do have, from the pre-medical standpoint, we do have a course every spring semester that's, uh, that it, the title of the course is Life in Medicine. And you know, I'll teach the first class or two, and then we have uh, two physicians that are really heavily involved in our program that come in, and they teach the rest of the course. And so I'll still be there um, kind of coordinating the course, but it's really the physicians talking to students one-on-one. And so every aspect of medicine you can think of, um, whether it's a daily life of a physician or applying to med school or preparing and taking, preparing for and taking the MCAT, uh, courses to take, whatever it may be, you know, these physicians cover. And they're, they're really good about staying on top of new and, and the always changing information. Excellent. And so we do offer that for all the pre-med students. Okay. And how, how many pre-medical students are, you know, are here at Weber State, would you say? It's, it's hard to say. I'm trying to get a grasp on that, but current estimates are somewhere probably around 400. Okay. All right. Um, you know, and that's at the beginning of this year. And, you know, that number is going to cut down some mm-hmm. at, at the end of this semester. But probably on average each year there's 400. And wow. so That's a lot. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. And we yeah. have, as far as that, how many apply each year to med schools, we have anywhere between 50 and 60. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and so that's kind of what we're looking at as far as student-wise. Okay. And so when going back to your office, the services you offer, let's pretend like I'm a freshman or sophomore here at Weber State. Um, can I come into you and kind of ask you what classes I should take, or, or can you give me feedback on my application? Right, and so you can, you can come into me at any point in time, uh, set up an appointment, come in and talk to me, and talk about coursework. I like to, early on in your college career, talk about the extracurricular activities, all the things you have to do in addition to coursework and get you started on the right path um, and try and then as you progress through your undergraduate career uh, keep you on the right track and try and make you or try and help you become the most competitive applicant that you can be mm-hmm. and so you know I can offer suggestions and everything else but a lot of it does come down to you taking the time to do those things and and where my office comes into place telling you what you need to do and giving you um, advice as far as you know, some ideas of where to go to get some of these things done. And so, yeah, but we, yeah, we can talk about coursework, um, whether it's your first year or any year that you're in. If it's your application year, then we can sit down and talk about your application, talk about um, a little bit before it's application time, talk about deficiencies that you really need to spend some time making up. Mm-hmm. Um, grades are always a big thing. And so, you know, I look for every time a student comes in to talk to me, I look through their transcripts and you know, identify potential any potential red flags mm-hmm. and try and and fix those red flags. If we can't fix them, then you know see what the reason is for those red flags coming up and, and try and come up with an explanation to explain those. Um, yeah, whether it be help with the application, whether it be help with uh, preparing for the MCAT, general coursework, um, even general questions about non pre med stuff. Uh, we are. You know, my Your advisors, office, my yeah. office, and I am yeah. here to help. That's mm-hmm. that's my job. What I really appreciate about all the pre medical advisors that our office works with is that a lot of times people don't know. You know, should I go to med school or not? Is this path right for me? And so I do know a lot of people in your office have that kind of deep, heartfelt discussion right. about you know, is this truly the path I want? And sometimes that kind of bridges off in other discussions, like like nursing school or pharmacy school or physical right. occupational therapy. Do you find yourself doing that a lot, Dr. Fritz? We do. Yeah. We do. And so, you know, me myself, 
You know, I am, like I said, I'm the director of the pre-medical programs at Weber State. And so that encompasses chiropractic, veterinary, everything else. And for some of those, we have advisors set aside to assist with those. Um, but we do all the time. You know, we have a lot of students all the time say, well, I don't really want to go to med school, but maybe PA school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only two additional years. And, and time-wise, you might have a little bit more time. Um, the other thing, it's, it's still kind of through our office, but the, the physicians in this area are really, really supportive of our program. And I don't know that you find that everywhere else. And so we literally have physicians fighting with each other and beating down the door to get to come in get the opportunity mm-hmm. to come in and, and talk to students. And so uh, you have help, and you may not know about those on your own. That's where I come into play is pointing you towards towards the physicians, the guys that have been there, the guys that will take you on for shadowing experience. Um, they'll help you find patient exposure experience mm-hmm. and various other, you know, just general aspects of, of medicine. You know, and they too all the time offer, offer to help with applications and read essays and, and various other things. And so the support's there. You yeah. just have to come and ask me how to find it. Yeah. Dr. Fritz, I mean, that, I think that's fantastic. What I know is for one of our requirements at the University of Utah School of Medicine, we do require physician shadowing as well as patient exposure. Sometimes I get asked, like, what's the difference? And physician shadowing is a little bit more passive. You know, you're supposed to be shadowing a physician, kind of learning like what the lifestyle is like of a physician, what kind of, you know, it's not all just guts and glory. A lot of it's filling out paperwork, right. um, you know, dealing with insurance companies, things of that nature. And so for someone to choose a path of going becoming a physician, we want to give a good, broad look at it. And then patient exposure is a little bit more active. You know, you're getting your hands dirty. A physician's not necessarily in the room. And I know, you know, because I go up and down the state of Utah as well as Idaho, that, you know, it's hard for a lot of undergraduates to find those experiences. But it sounds like your office was already built like a, a community, almost like a support network, the infrastructure. We do. Yeah, yeah. we do. We, we have a preceptor program here where, and we have several physicians. Uh, there's probably 30 on the list right now that have agreed to take students on at least one student if not two or three for a minimum of 40 hours of shadowing per semester that's fantastic and so you know we give those students upper level course credit for doing that um and the program's closely monitored it is a competitive program but the support is out there Mm -hmm. um and that program largely stem not from really our office but from physicians wanting to help the students and so you know i'm working together with physicians in the community to better this program, increase the number of physicians so we can increase the number of students getting these shadowing hours. Mm-hmm. I know some programs, um, they kind of just give a phone book to the, the, uh, to the, to the undergraduate and say, hey, go find physicians right. on your own. Right. I think that's fantastic you set that right. up here. So yeah. that to me sounds like a real strength of the program here at Weber State. Right. So. We do. And you know, I tell students they can, they can shadow through our program where they can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, get a phone book and look. Look physicians up. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say every physician is willing to have students shadow, but by far the majority around him will say, around here will say, "Yeah, come on in." Um, and we've had really good success with with physician shadowing. That's great. And are you talking family? I mean, primary care physicians as well as specialists, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're talking both. Because yeah. Um, yeah, the fam- the family practice physicians and primary care physicians; those are really important to shadow. Um, especially in today's society. Yeah. I can tell you, like, the missions committee, I've noticed a shift over the past few years, and I think it's because 
you know, of changes coming with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as people like to call it. But I think there's greater re- recognition that um, we would we like to see applicants with a little bit of a primary care physician right. shadowing experience. Right. Um, you know, I, I get it. There's a lot of people out there that, like, you know, I know I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon, and then they shadow 10 orthopedic surgeons. My committee likes to kind of see a little bit of primary care mixed in there, too, right. just to get kind of a, a balanced view on the right. profession. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah, what I'm telling all, our, all of our students is, Shot a minimum of three different specialties mm-hmm. um, and make one of those a primary care physician. Then the other ones can be whatever. If there's an area you want to go into, make sure you shadow that area and that's something you really want to go into. You may find out it's not and you may completely change your mind. Yeah. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, the pre-medical society here. Is there a, is there a student-led group of, of those who are interested in medical school? There is, and so AMSA, or the American Medical Student Association, is a student-led group. And I'm, you know, just due to the position I'm in, I'm their faculty advisor. But it is literally all student-run. Um, they they spent all summer planning out the fall semester, and they're currently working on what they're going to do for the spring semester. And so with that organization, they have meetings every single week. Um, and usually those meetings are, most of the meetings are physicians coming in to talk about various aspects of medicine. Some of them are MCAT prep companies coming in. Uh, Some we have English teachers that come in and talk about personal statements and proper writing skills and and various aspects. And so we kind of cover a broad range of things with those, the AMSA meetings. Um, Just like the preceptor program I was talking about, you know, that's, we open it to all pre-med students, but preference is given to students that are members and active members of AMSA. Mm-hmm. And so it does have its perks being a member. Um, there's a couple other programs that we have. We have a peer mentor program, and a lot of places have that. Um, we just established it here, um, but it's it's really kicking off so far. Mm-hmm. And so it's, What does that program look like, a peer mentor program? And so right now, and so peer mentor, so you hear students all the time, and, and you know if you come here, you'll talk to pre-med students that... You know, just wish they had an upperclassman to talk to along the way. So they come to me for advice and come to other pre-med advisors for advice. But hearing advice from us is one thing. Hearing advice from students is kind of another thing. And so, you know, a lot of them wish they had somebody to go and talk to. And so kind of the way we work it here is is we've, we've already selected mentors for this academic year. And so about half of them are ones that have applied to med school. They currently have an application out. And the other half are will apply this next application cycle. And so we selected them so they could carry over the program to the following year. Um, so, you know, the, the lower level or underclass students can participate in a couple ways. We have, you know, one way we have a room um, given to us by the library where these mentors will spend X number of hours per week in this room where any pre-med student can go by and talk to them at any time about anything. Uh, the second way to get involved is... Uh, to sign up to where you're paired with a specific mentor. And then we have requirements in there, how many times a month they're going to meet with you. Um, It's kind of more on on a personal level than kind of a a random meeting, random question-answer session. Excellent. And then does your office, if you need, like, because I think the interview experience is very important. And what I tell applicants all the time is that, you know, you need to be assessed on your communication skills because physicians uh, have to have excellent communication skills. They're communicating 
complex uh, medical procedures or medications or things of that nature. And so we're really trying to assess good communication skills during their interview day. Does your office have like practice or mock interviews for those that we are interested? Do. We do. And so we work with the career services office on campus. And there's, um, there's a guy that is uh, specifically assigned to the College of Science. And so and he he does mock interviews, mock med school interviews, interviews for all kinds of things. Um, but one of the big things are, are mock med school interviews for all the pre-med students. And so you can, whether it's you have an interview lined up that you're going to or whether you are a beginning freshman, you can always call him and we can set up an appointment with him to go into an interview. And he does a, a really, really good job. He'll record you and video record you and come oh. back with an evaluation, very detailed evaluation on interpersonal skills, interpersonal skills, all kinds of uh, the things that med schools are looking for. And so it's, it's a real good opportunity. That's fantastic. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm impressed with all the programs you up here, have up here, Dr. Fetzler. Well, I guess my next question is, how'd you, how'd you guys do last year? Um, how many students got into medical schools and like what are kind of the top programs that Weber State graduates tend to go to? And so we have, like I said, we have 50 to 60 students that apply each year. Okay. Um, Percentage-wise, what gets in, everybody always asks, you know, what, what's your acceptance rate? And so kind of look at that from two different standpoints. If we have, you know, a student who has 3.7 GPA or above and has above a 30 or so on the MCAT, we kind of consider those to be the highly qualified students. And, you know, for those students, our acceptance rate's 100%. Um, they Excellent. get in, They get in somewhere. And so, you know, those with below a 3.7, with below a 30 on the MCAT, um, consider those marginal, marginally qualified students, uh, however you want to classify them. But you know, overall, you know, if we look at the past 10 years of data or so, we have our acceptance rate is somewhere between 60 and 65%. Um, kind of fluctuates each year, but somewhere somewhere in that range. Um, and in that 10-year period, you know, our low has been around 42%, mm-hmm. um, up to 89%. And so, but on average, it's about 60%. And so a lot of those that don't get in their first year turn around and reapply the second year, and we do a kind of a critical review of their application and see you know, what are the reasons that they likely didn't get in and spend that next year really focusing on bettering those aspects as well as their, their whole application in general. And so we have a, I'm not saying 100%, but a lot of the reapplicants, um, very high percentage, get in the next year. And what kind of med schools? Well, I mean, what, if you know off the top of your head, what are your top five programs? And so the, the I don't know about the top five. We have, and the numbers to pull those are... I know for a fact we have a handful of your students every year. Right. So we, we, do, we do have several yeah. that get into okay. the U every year. Okay. Um, you know, we have students, as far as saying top five programs, I don't think we can really, you know, break it down number-wise like okay. that. We have, and we have students that get into, you know, med schools all over the country every okay. year. Um, and you know, I'm not going to say that there's five that are very pro Weber State student. I'm not going to say that there's five that are anti Weber State <laughs> student. And so it's just kind of all across the board we get students in everywhere, right. um, including the U. Right. Excellent. How many uh, when you're counseling your uh, or advising Weber State students? How many med- medical schools do you typically ask them to apply to? Do you recommend? Yeah. And so the first thing I do is tell them to. You know, where they apply to is a personal decision. Um, there's a lot of aspects that come into that. Um, being from Utah, a lot of the students like to stay in the area, but obviously not everybody's going to get into the U. It's just simply impossible. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, tell them to branch out, see where they'd like to live, research the med schools, 
uh, I think on average, you know, we have, you know, we do have students that apply to both MD schools and DO schools, some that apply just to one or the other. But on average, this year, our students applied to 12 schools. Oh, and so, you know, the high was 28, the low was one. And so, but on average, <laughs> on average, it was 12. Put all your chips in one uh, egg right. basket. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, okay. so on average, 12 schools. Yeah. Um, and again, some, some of those are just MD schools. Some are yeah. just DO schools. Some are a mixture of, of the two. Well, Dr. Futzer, pretend I'm not Dr. Chan, Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Again, I'm just a Weber State student. What would you tell someone, MD versus DO? Because I know this conversation happens a lot. Right, it does happen yeah. a lot. And I'm just curious, what would you would say? And so, so the... The difference, you know, from a student's perspective, the main thing they see is, well, it must be easier to get into DO schools. They don't require, you know, their grade point average is lower, their MCAT score is lower, but that gap is closing pretty quickly here. Um, you know, the main difference, you know, DOs practice, you know, from a more of a, a body approach or a holistic approach, um, or that's the thought anyway. Um, they practice practice what we call OMM or osteopathic manipulative medicine, and so it's kind of the difference between the training programs while you're in med school is is a little bit different between the two programs. Um, when you get out, you know, I don't know that there is that much difference, and so you know, a DO can still get fine residency programs just like an MD can. A lot of times you see a mix. Uh, if you go to a hospital setting, even in the same department of the hospital, you'll see a mixture of MDs and DOs. And so it's, it's I don't try and push students one way or the other. Uh, I kind of tell them, you know, one, do some research on your own. Two, know that it is a different approach as far as the medical school curriculum goes. Um, but three, when you get out, um, yeah, you should practice the way you were taught. I know that doesn't always happen, but practice the way you were taught and and go about it that way. Yeah. Um, that's excellent. So, um, so something I can just say from my point of view, from a mission's point of view, and that's a difference, is that um, so all the MD or allopathic programs, we belong to the American Academy of Medical Colleges. And there is a specific guideline and policies in place. And what I'm kind of getting at is what I've noticed um, with admissions is that if you get into an MD program, by agreement with all the other MD programs, you only have to put down a, a small amount of money, usually $100 to reserve right. your seat. And one of the, you know, I would say issues that a lot of the MD and DO programs disagree with is that for DO schools, uh, most of them uh, require a much larger deposit. Right. And lo- uh, a lot of times it's non-refundable, and we're talking the thousands of dollars. So right. it's, it's ongoing discussion we have with the DO schools on a national level. I personally am not involved in those discussions. It is. So one example yeah. of what Dr. Chen was just saying, you know, for example, we have a student right now in this application cycle that um, went down and interviewed at a DO school uh, a week ago, they told him three days later, they'd let him know his admission status, called him and said, you've been accepted for admission, but you have to pay $3,500, a non-refundable fee, in the next two weeks. That's a lot of money. And so it is. That, that is another difference between MD and DO schools. Mm-hmm. And so to hold his seat, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to get in anywhere else, so he's kind of apt to pay that $3,500, but his school of choice may come open at some later time, and he can't get that money back. And- um, on a national level, there has been many discussions about that practice being changed, but as of right. yet, that's yeah, it still hasn't of, changed. It still hasn't changed, and it kind of breaks my heart because I have people contact me every year that say, "Like, I'm really excited. I got into the U. 
Um, I'm a Utah native for cultural family reasons. I'm going to stay here, but they've already paid a big deposit at another program at right. DO school. And they're kind of having this crisis. And that, right. and Dr. Futzer, that's where you come in. Cause you're going to right. sit down and advise them. So <laughs> right. Help navigate. Right. That. So, yeah. And so yeah. it's, it really is a per, it comes down to personal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you want to go? How bad do you want to go there? Mm-hmm. And so are you willing to put down that deposit? Um, are you willing to, and put it down or not put it down with the risk that you're not going to get in anywhere else. And so it is something does need to change. I agree. But right now that's the way it is. And that's what we have to deal with. Excellent. Well, we're running out of time. Let's talk about some fun stuff. So Dr. Fritzler, what kind of professor are you? Well, I'm a, I'm an assistant professor in department of microbiology. And so my background is in, uh, infectious diseases and medical microbiology. So I walked into your office and I'm just stunned by the amount of little bottles. And what are in those little bottles? <laughs> well, so my office is very organized. Um, I'm not OCD, I promise, but it's the most organized office in the College of Science. But the so there are a bunch of little bottles. There's probably 500 little bottles sitting, 500 on, my, little bottles. sitting on my shelves. I, I counted them one time and lost count. Okay. But, um, but yeah, in those little bottles are parasites. A lot of them are worms, of uh, tapeworms, roundworms of various types. There's all kinds of things in there. And they're all so, dead, correct? They're all dead. Okay. They're all dead. <laughs> I don't want to give this image that you have 500 parasites in your office. Right. They're they're, they are to, dead. Okay. Um, and so the parasitology side of things really is really is a hobby and stems from my, my grad school days. There was a guy, uh, the parasitologist at the vet school at Texas A&M, where I went to graduate school, uh, was a guy that would... Anytime he saw a roadkill, he would stop and cut it up on the side of the road and look for parasites. And so that's kind of where that came from. I'm not that crazy. Um, so are you telling me you've never stopped for roadkill? I have stopped for it. Okay. We do. We do. In one of my classes, we do okay. dissect roadkill. Okay. Um, the students like it. The faculty don't so much because it smells up the building, but it is a, it is a hobby. Okay. So let me understand the thought process here. So... You see roadkill, and the roadkill itself is not a parasite, but the hunch is, is that there is a parasite inside right. the roadkill. Right. Okay. And so, yeah, so yeah it's, it's kind of like Christmas time. You okay. open a present, you don't know what's in the present. Or you, like Forrest Gump, life is like a box of It is. It is. Right. You never know what you're going to get. Okay. So back to your grad school days, this started. And how, how has it gotten? I mean, where, how are we to this point? Well, it's, it's, I'm just kind of, you know, that collection, you go to a lot of universities, especially smaller universities without a vet school, they... They try and teach a parasitology course, and they're teaching everything from prepared slides that you buy from some biological company. Mm-hmm. And so that's not always the best way to go. And so very few schools have a parasite collection or parasite museum. And so, you know, granted, this is my personal collection, but it's it's just something I've started over the years to mainly use as as a teaching tool and kind of as a wow factor. So does Weber State have a parasite collection or is it just the one in your office right now? It's just the one in my office right now. Um, And so there's some, there's a few faculty here and there that their parasite collection are, are the stuff that you can buy from a company. And so they don't go out and get it themselves like I do. So two questions for you about parasites. I remember briefly studying parasites back in biology and zoology, but I, my, my knowledge is not very strong in this area. So what, what, what is the rarest specimen you have, and which is the most dangerous specimen that you have? Well, it's hard to say. Any of them can be dangerous. And so parasitology is all a numbers game. If you have one or two, you're probably going to be fine. If you have hundreds of them, it doesn't matter which one it is, it's going to cause problems. Um, as far as the rarest one, uh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, the... So there's a disease in Africa and other developing countries that we call drucunculiasis, which is 
an adult female worm that crawls to just underneath the skin and lays a bunch of babies. And so, you know, kind of the one of the thoughts by paras- on the parasitology side of things, anyways, that the, the medical um, caducus is. You know, it's right now it's like a snake wrapped around a stick, but the way we get that worm out is wrapped around a stick. And they've been doing that for years and years and years. And so one of the thoughts in the parasitology side of things is that's where that came from. Whether or not that, that's true or not, I don't know. But um, we don't find that worm in humans in the United States, but we do find it in in animals, especially raccoons. And so I've got several of those in my office. It'll infect humans. We just don't see it in humans for some reason here. And so that's probably the most rare wow. rare worm that I have. So, and you everything in your office, all five hundred samples you've you've physically found in roadkill. I have every single one of them came from roadkill. Wow! So even the rare of the rare, the one you mentioned from Africa, yeah. you found in Texas. I found down in Texas. Oh. Most of these were from Texas, just because I've only been here for a year. Um, okay. I do have probably couple hundred more specimens down in the lab i need to go through at some point i just haven't had time okay. um but they're from from utah specimens a lot of them are the same thing okay but, but yeah that's all they're all from roadkill and is there like american academy of parasitology you belong to or? there are there's there's an american society for parasitology um there's american society of protozoology and so looking at the protozoa and so i kind of look at all aspects mm-hmm. um and so i am a member of both of those both of those organizations. I, I do know in medical school, you, part of everyone's medical school training is learning about infectious disease. And a lot of this stuff is kind of bringing back flashbacks. Right. And right. I just remember looking at these type of things or these slides. And, but I've never right. seen so many in such a small space. <laughs> so it's quite impressive. Right. So. so it's the same things that infect humans. Mm-hmm. We just don't find them in humans that commonly in the United States. And, and, and two, it's a lot easier to get them out of roadkill than mm-hmm. it is from humans. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy... That came up here to visit my lab last year from he's a dean down in one of the schools in Ghana and he really wants me to come down he's trying to do the same thing start a collection but all of his are human parasites because of location where they're at and all mine are animal parasites and so he wants to trade human parasites for animal parasites and kind so like baseball cards yeah okay. yeah pretty much okay. yeah <laughs> so i don't know how that's going to work um but you know i'm planning a trip to africa right. at some point in time wow, wow. Like, that sounds fantastic well, yeah well dr fitzer thanks for your time and i'm excited for all the students weber state yeah well thank you too dr chan thanks for listening to talking admissions and med student life with dr benjamin chan the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.